0: Episode 50. Today, I speak with Joshua Jacobs from Windsor Healthcare Communities about the evolving SNF or skilled nursing facility. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know talking, relentlessly seeking value. Lately, I've been listening to many IDNs and hospital administrators ranting about the trials of preventing readmissions. Depending upon how long the conversation goes, at some point, someone will mention SNFs, skilled nursing facilities providing post-acute care. They will talk about how the SNFs don't have EHRs and are therefore difficult to communicate with. My guest today, Joshua Jacobs from Windsor Healthcare Communities, mentioned a point I had never thought of before. Meaningful use incentives did not extend to nursing homes or LTC. So while hospitals and ambulatory providers were chalking up serious dollars to upgrade their technology, those providing post-acute care have been left to figure it out themselves. This is just one point that Joshua schools me on today. My name is Stacey Richter and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Joshua.
1: Thank you for having me, Stacy.
0: So talk about your business. Talk about Windsor Health Communities.
1: Windsor Healthcare Communities operates uh, post-acute and long-term care centers in New Jersey. Basically what we do is we provide care for those who are leaving the hospital and aren't ready to go home just yet, as well as long-term care for people who are too ill to live on their own without the need of constant nursing care.
0: Would that be skilled nursing facilities as well as long-term care
1: uh, yeah, in the healthcare jargon, we're known as a uh, SNF, a skilled nursing facility, and as we'll talk about, the roles of the SNF have really evolved and changed to make it a dynamic part of today's healthcare ecosystem.
0: Indeed, I have never heard the acronym SNF as often as I have heard it probably in the past couple of, of years. Why is that? Why has the SNF and the LTC industry changed to elevate their prominence?
1: It has a couple of reasons. Uh Some of them are tied in historical and some of them are tied in some new regulations and and, uh, demographic shifts we're seeing right now in the current healthcare system. The first is that uh, historically, the role that a SNF has played in the past is being changed. While in the past, the nursing home, which really was a product of both demographics changing in the U.S. and the passing of, of the Medicaid Act and Social Security by President Johnson in the 60s, while those have served for elderly people to have a place to go, essentially, if they need medical care in their old age and, and obviously provide a place for them to live without having to suffer the indignities of, of being in the flop house that used to exist for the elderly poor back when there were no structured nursing home industry. We've seen a change now where we're providing more high-level skilled care for those who not necessarily require long-term care services, but require some sort of nursing care oversight before they're ready to go back to leading their regular lives.
0: Why now? In other words, obviously, there has been a need. Is this just sort of a natural evolution of the industry, or are there certain environmental or marketplace reasons why SNFs are carving out kind of a, a definitely unique space within the, the marketplace today?
1: Sure. Well, well, in terms of the natural evolution of it, uh, the actual SNF occupancy rate, so Americans living in nursing homes peaked, in the early 90s. Uh, and it's been a steady decline since then. And the reason has been because there are new options that are out there like assisted living, independent living that did not exist before which are really a lot more attractive for the consumer because uh, when, when nursing homes were first created it was built off of an institutional hospital style model. And the idea was you know, we can have institutions to help the elderly that need these help. But the truth is is that nobody wants to live in an institution. And therefore assisted living and independent living strung up to create alternatives for those who might not need the same level of nursing care that nursing home provides, but nevertheless, were going to the nursing home because that was the only option at that point. So because of that, assisted living has grown as a whole another industry. And that's taken away the traditional customer from the nursing home industry. However... Uh, although occupancy levels of people living in long-term care indices has declined over time, and that's sort of a demographic shift, a customer consumer preference shift. Um, you've also seen the actual number of SNFs servicing Americans in totality rise because of the fact that there are regulatory shifts where nursing homes are now allowed to provide rehabilitative and therapy care for people who are leaving the hospital, which is covered by Medicare, covered by insurance companies. And therefore, although the percentage of Americans living in nursing homes has consistently gone down and is continuously declining, the number of Americans that receive care at some point in a nursing home is actually going up. Because what we do is we help patients who are leaving the hospital get better and then go back home or go back to assisted living or dependent living as the need may be.
0: Were you using nursing home as kind of the umbrella term that encompasses SNFs, LTC, and assisted living?
1: Uh, well, I wouldn't use the word nursing home for assisted living, but I would use it for, for SNFs and long-term care in general. We 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 all came from the nursing home. The nursing home was something that was created because President Johnson really saw that there were pockets of very, very poor people in America that had no place to go as they became ill and as they were nearing their elder years. There were many charitable organizations that provided nursing home style care, retirement centers. There were, in fact, many county governments originally were formed for the purpose of providing care for the indigent and elderly that lived in their midst. However, over time, as demographics changed and life expectancy grew due to advances in medicine, there were more and more of these elderly indigent that needed care. And therefore, the government said, we're going to provide a social safety net. So let's
0: circle back to Something that you alluded to earlier, which was that changing regulations enabled the long-term care SNF industry to emerge and help with post-acute discharges coming out of hospitals. Could you talk a little bit more about the how and why and what of that? What does that look like today and, and why is it so important?
1: That's actually something that many people don't realize about our health system right now, especially for Medicare as being one of the primary payers, if not the primary payer for our healthcare system. It's that uh, regulatory-wise, Medicare has been looking for ways to sort of shrink hospital costs because hospital costs still are the huge driver of overall Medicare spending. So one of the things they looked at was the amount of time people stay at hospitals for. And they said, you know, uh, if someone is in a surgery, is post-surgery and is at the hospital for 10 days, that's a very expensive level of care because the hospital has tremendous, tremendous uh, infrastructure and capital resources to provide that care for 10 days. Could we also have that patient, instead of staying at the hospital for 10 days, stay at the hospital for three days and then go someplace else where there is, let's say, perhaps a little bit lower level of care, but sufficient for the needs of that particular patient now that they're in recovery mode? And so they kind of looked around the healthcare landscape for the part of the industry that was a little underutilized, that had the correct capital infrastructure, and they saw SNFs and they said, hey, we've got all these nursing homes that have been built nearby. Overall occupancy for SNFs is declining because fewer Americans are living there long term. Why don't we see if we can introduce a sort of step down care in the SNF that'll take care of these patients at the hospital but aren't quite ready to go home yet? And that'll be a lot cheaper for the system in general, because it costs a lot less to provide care in a nursing home than it does at the hospital. And so from that, we sort of see the rise of nursing homes and SNFs becoming a place for post-acute care, the first stop on the way home, if that's what the patient requires.
0: It's probably also one of the few instances or one of the not so common instances where, you know, as you say, it's, it's a lot less expensive, but it's probably a lot more pleasant for the patient. I mean, staying in a hospital with all the beeping and the stuff going on is is not exactly a lovely experience.
1: In some ways, uh, being at the SNF can be a more home-like experience. It can be something more customer service friendly. That depends, of course, on the SNF itself, the age of its particular physical properties, um, as well as their approach to care. That being said, in and of itself, the SNF does strive to be more like a home than the hospital can ever be. And in many ways, that can benefit the patient as well.
0: Let's talk a little bit about Windsor Healthcare Communities for a sec. Do you have SNFs, LTCs, as well as assisted living?
1: No. So we. We just operate skilled nursing facilities, which means that we only have these SNF operations, no assisted living, uh, no home care. We really focus on this particular niche in the marketplace.
0: And so what does success look like for your organization? You know, like what are you really striving to accomplish with, with a SNF?
1: I think that any organization that's there right now uh, to succeed has to attract a large number of these post-acute patients. Historically, since nursing homes have fulfilled a role of long-term care, we haven't really exited that market either. So we have a mix. We have a balance of people who are with us long-term, who are going to live out their lives with uh, our nursing homes because they need that 24 hours of care, as well as people who are with us only for a couple of weeks or even a couple of days for that post-acute care. What we look at as success is really a healthy balance between those two, providing both of those services efficiently and well and capturing as large of a market share as we possibly can on that post-acute business because we believe, one, that's the future. And in addition, as we're providing a higher level of skill services, it allows us to have margins that are higher as well.
0: Obviously, that means given that you're step two in a two-step process or a three-step process anyway, the patient starts out acute condition in the hospital, then they get released into your organization. The hospital, therefore, I would assume has a very big bearing on your ability to succeed. What are some of the factors there. You know, what what can a hospital do or not do that could, in a big way, impact your ability to care for a patient?
1: Yeah, that's a really important point. Hospitals have a tremendous impact on what we can do to succeed or not, because the truth is that if we're step two, we have to depend on the hospital to have a good relationship with us in order to continue that patient flow. Now, of course, every patient has the right to choose where they would like to go for post-acute care, and that's embedded in regulations. At the same time, though, hospitals have a very, very strong influence on that destination. So therefore, a discharge planner simply has a falling out with your particular SNF. They might not recommend you to any of their patients. And many patients often rely on the recommendation of that discharge planner. Uh, In addition, you might have health systems as well that can exclude you because they have their own SNFs that they operate. Some health systems do have an integrated solution where they have acute and post-acute, and therefore you can get left out has a tremendous impact on what we do and if we can succeed. And therefore, it's a very important part of our job to make sure that we are providing the hospital with the service they need. And as I'd like like to get into, there have been a lot of changes, especially with the Affordable Care Act recently, that have incentivized hospitals to work with the best post-acute providers.
0: Yeah. So when you say that you have now a large incentive to provide hospitals with the service they need, what, what service do they need?
1: Well, in the past, if a hospital discharged a patient who went home or went to a sniff and had a bad experience or went back to the hospital because of a, a negative health provider that came in post-acute care, it didn't really matter that much to the hospital. Uh, there was no repercussion that the hospital faced. However, we've had the introduction of what we call readmission penalties, where uh, CMS sent us for Medicare and Medicaid is penalizing hospitals in a very, very uh, expensive way if their patients are going back to the hospital for uh, for any really reason after an episode of care. And, And they end up back in the hospital within, let's say, 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. And so CMS is essentially pulling back on some of their funding and penalizing those hospitals under the assumption that you should have provided a better level of care, and as a result of your deficiency in care, that patient has ended up back at the hospital again for more costly and expensive care to Medicare. I was talking
0: to someone in an integrated delivery system recently who was complaining about SNFs. I'd be very interested on your, your, your take on this. And obviously, this was in the Midwest. It had nothing to do with you at all. But what they were saying was that they were discharging patients from the hospital. And then the, the patient would wind up in a sniff. The sniff would not follow the hospital's discharge instructions for a number of different reasons, one of them being that the sniff had limited technology, so they weren't able to access anything electronic, and then the patient would get readmitted and the hospital would get dinged.
1: Yeah, so here's where it gets really interesting. In the past, the hospital didn't care what happened, but now they really do care what happens, and the sniff plays a large part in what can happen. However, because this is sorta of new, and because you're talking about a culture clash between different types of systems, sniffs, and hospitals, there's a huge, huge adjustment period that's going on right now, where sniffs have to get on the same page as hospitals, And hospitals have to also realize that a SNF is not just a mini hospital, but they have their own limitations. And you alluded to one of those limitations, which is technology. For hospitals and large medical practices, they receive billions of dollars in funding from the federal government to do electronic health records, install computer systems, all as part of the the government's meaningful use program. However, SNFs were totally excluded from that. They didn't receive a penny of federal funding. So the SNFs had to really choose, am I going to pay for this out of pocket? Or am I going to forego having electronic health records? For those who have foregone electronic health records, it means it's a lot harder to implement those clinical practices the hospital would like to see. And that information sharing the hospital would like to see. Nevertheless, it's kind of a result of the way our industry has been structured. And it's, it's emblematic of the challenges that we're facing as we're asked to take on a new role as well as provide quality that will impact the hospital in a beneficial way.
0: That seems very short-sighted of the Meaningful Use program that on one hand, they are advocating and, and, and promoting the use of SNFs because hospital care is so expensive. But then on the other hand, they are limiting the ability of SNFs to evolve into the entity that they need to be in order to have better communication with the hospital.
1: I think it's a very accurate assessment. Nursing home care is not very sexy. It really is not, especially because of the historical biases that we spoke about. And therefore, uh, you know, there's a lot of funding on the table. There was a limited amount of dollars that was to be spent in various areas, and nursing homes were not able to get that piece of the pie doesn't mean that nursing homes didn't want to be a part of the technology change, but limited resources exist and our operating margins are very, very low. And a lot of these organizations and SNFs are small organizations that can't really afford to implement this new technology. So I, I agree it is somewhat short sighted, but at the same time it doesn't it doesn't lessen the burden that we have as progressive SNF operators. And, and integrated health systems to try and make sure that everybody is on the same page. And there are things that are happening in sort of halting steps to get there, but because of the fact that we aren't on the same page from the very beginning, there have been a tremendous amount of growing pains and I think a, a letdown to hospitals about what SNFs are really capable of doing when they work with a SNF that isn't really up to the same stuff as a hospital is.
0: I can see how the spotlight might be, just based on my own anecdotal experience, be starting to highlight or put a glow on this this situation. You know, I I can't go into a meeting these days without somebody talking about transitions of care and facilitating transitions of care and facilitating tracking patients after discharge. So maybe it's a, a thing whose time has come.
1: Yeah, I believe so. And I think the, probably the best indicator, and this is really scientifically validated, is when HBO does a show about you, you know that you've sort of arrived at the national consciousness. <laughs> so, you know, we have Silicon Valley that's there now for sort of startups. And so we're at like this startup frenzy in the U.S. in terms of our culture and technology. So we've got Silicon Valley. And for Sniffs, you know, we've got, we've got that show as well that takes place in a, a long-term care wing of a hospital as well well. I think it's called getting on. So therefore, you've got, you know, your sniff representation now on some level, your long-term care representation. And I think it means that people in general sort of know a little, a little more about what we're doing. And in the future, you'll see more engagement as well with this post-acute model.
0: So we're going to see people disrupting the nursing home?
1: I think, I think you might see that as as well. I think some sort of hybrid of getting on in Silicon Valley would actually be um, hilarious and scary at the same time.
0: I, I can only imagine.
1: It's interesting because uh, I, re- I was reading recently about a Dutch nursing home that was providing uh, free housing for students uh, in this nursing home as well. A sort of a way to bridge the generational gap between young people and elderly people benefit both sides. So perhaps some sort of situation where we can have startups housed in our nursing homes, give them free office space would be a really nice solution for both of our problems.
0: Actually, that's a really interesting idea that for generations, the the older you were, sort of the wiser you were, and people valued the wisdom. But if you put all of the are elderly into one spot and just basically with nobody else but their their peers then you kind of lose that inter, intergenerational communication
1: that's very astute uh, one of the philosophies that really drives what we do at our company is called Eden Alternative and Eden Alternative is a, um, is a new way of looking at Long-term care and post-acute care as well, and, and in addition, it it really is there to combat ageism in our society. For example, most nursing homes would we'll call their their people that live there residents or patients. Well, we use the term elders to generate respect for the people that are there, because an elder is somebody that is wise, is there that has experience, that can give counsel, that can contribute to society. You know, they have their place. While someone who's just you know, a senior or, or a patient or a resident not necessarily has a defined role. So what Eden Alternative tries to do, and the U.S. government in many ways in terms of regulatory policies has embraced this notion of person-centered care, person-directed care – has tried to empower uh, the elders that are living in our homes to continue to contribute, be a part of society, and, and do things that can benefit those who are younger because they do have a lot to offer despite the fact they may have a physical or mental handicap that requires them to live in a nursing home setting.
0: I look forward to that being, being furthered. I think that is would be a better world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if I could get back just for one moment to uh, the hospital. The hospital had now is an incentive to discharge a lot earlier. And so the earlier they discharge, right, the more pressure it places on post-acute care to skill up to almost the level of the hospital. And therein kind of lies the paradox of emphasizing post-acute care as a way of driving down the cost of care in general. Because... If the hospital discharges earlier, it definitely means that we have to do more, provide more nurses, more physicians on site, spend more on the level of care we're giving, and we're actually sort of driving the cost of care up in the nursing setting. So at some point, we're going to reach an equilibrium where we found the balance between what is the right amount of time to stay in the hospital and the right amount of time to go to the post-acute care center. I don't think we know what that equilibrium actually is yet, but the truth is, is that it is definitely cheaper than the hospital. But it's got to be cheaper than the hospital, both in terms of the amount of time they spend in post-acute care, the daily rate in post-acute care, and associated with positive health outcomes. So we're trying to find that balance, and I think everyone's kind of looking for it, but it still eludes us. And a lot of the data that's going to come online um, as SNFs get more technologically advanced and get more electronic health records will help us find that exact point for uh, having both value to the healthcare system as well as providing the necessary care so that not one extra negative outcome has to happen as a result of promoting post-acute care earlier for people who are transitioning out of the hospital.
0: Well, based on that, a couple of things come, come to my mind. First of all, that you're going to have some SNFs that are well ahead of others or more equipped to handle certain types of post acute patient maybe you've got a sniff that specializes in you know orth- orthopedic discharges which probably requires a whole different set of both equipment as well as expertise than perhaps a sniff that's geared towards cardiac for example
1: absolutely since we're talking about the historical bias of a nursing home Primarily, uh, it's been a geographic-based industry. So you went to the nursing home that was closest to your own house, for example, because if you were going someplace for long-term care, you wanted to live nearby in your neighborhood. And that legacy has sort of held over in many ways for post-acute care as well, which, which I believe personally, and we believe as a company, that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense because it doesn't allow you to specialize in particular areas. You kind of have to become a jack of all trades. Because people are coming to you for location, not necessarily because your services in one particular area are, are great. However, just as hospitals have sort of started to specialize a little bit, we're seeing specialization occur as well in, in SNFs and post-acute. Because the industry was sort of created in the 60s and 70s, you have a lot of older, older nursing homes that are out there where the, the physical plan infrastructure doesn't really support the things we're trying to do now as transitional care centers. As these homes get either redeveloped or or knocked down and built anew, or replaced, you're finding that these new nursing homes have the uh, physical plant to provide transitional care in a better way. And in addition, they're starting to focus more on specialization. So some nursing homes are only doing post-acute care, and some post-acute care nursing homes are only doing orthopedic rehab, for example. By doing so, it allows them to really achieve clinical specialties. It means that every single person working in that SNF, from the receptionist to the nurse, knows how to deal with orthopedic patients and orthopedic rehab. I think that's a very positive thing for uh, patients in general in the healthcare system because it allows the training to be that much more seamless. But really, it, it depends on the consumer because getting over that geographic barrier is a big hurdle. Any company that opens up a specialized sniff and doesn't necessarily have the consumer that's willing to travel a little further for them really risks having no revenue and falling out of the marketplace in, in totality. So we're having this graduated shift, but it's getting there in sort of lurching movements because of the fact that it's a big risk to go ahead and specialize with the possibility of losing that geographic revenue stream for somebody who might need cardiac care, even though you're an orthopedic rehab center. So I'm
0: connecting the dots between what you just said and something that you said earlier about how discharge planners were so influential in directing patients to a sniff. Do you feel like discharge planning and the choice of a sniff really needs to start to be elevated out of the hands of individual discharge planners and more into the hands of, of, of uh, at, at the hospital level? In other words, a whole hospital would need to say, you know what, all of our orthopedic discharges need to go to a specialty orthopedic sniff, And here's our four preferred choices.
1: Right. So we're starting to see that, actually. Because of these readmission penalties, because uh, hospitals don't want to have to have millions of dollars of their revenue clawed back, back by Medicare because of a bad outcome that happens at a sniff, So we are seeing that happen, and that we're seeing hospitals create performance tiers. Certain hospital systems are more advanced than others about this, and I think ultimately it's going to be good because it'll start, it'll start to create some segmentation and separation in the post-acute industry. The truth is, just like any industry, there are people who are better and people who are worse. And there are nursing home operators and companies that do a phenomenal job of post-acute care. They invest heavily in making sure that there are no readmissions. They have a culture that allows excellence to thrive. And those are the places that everyone benefits from if they're utilized more frequently. And on the other flip side, there are those operators who necessarily aren't on the ball. And why should the Patient, and why should the hospital suffer if that sniff is the destination for post acute care? So, what we're seeing is the segmentation that exists. We're seeing hospitals start to drive more of the outcomes, but nevertheless, the discharge planner in the hospital has a very important role. And because it's a very personal one to one dialogue between them and the patient, uh, when it comes time for choosing a next level of care, whether that be home with home care services or post acute at a sniff, you need to really integrate both into the model. You need to have the hospital directing and helping narrow down the choices to the better SNFs, but you also need the discharge planners who understand that patient better than a hospital CFO would to help guide the one that they really need.
0: I know just even within hospitals, it is very complicated what happens after discharge from a financial aspect. In other words, Is the SNF care going to be paid for by, you know, Medicare Part A or B or how, how is it that, you know, when a hospital is trying to maximize their own reimbursement, can they do certain things which negatively or positively impact your ability to properly care for a patient?
1: One of the big topics that's been debated both uh, in our industry and legislatively recently has been what's called observation stays. So essentially, uh, Medicare has been trying to reduce healthcare spending. We all know the growth in spending was unsustainable a couple of years ago. It seems to be working, actually. But one of the areas they looked at is they said, hey, you know, for the hospital, they're incentivized to admit everybody that comes to their door because the more people they treat, the more revenue they make. So we, we want to look at which people you're admitting to the hospital. And if you if we see that the hospital is admitting people that really shouldn't be admitted, we, we're not going to pay for that care. And so, so therefore, what the the hospital industry and uh, CMS essentially uh, spawned was what we call the observation stay, where the hospital wouldn't admit somebody as an inpatient. They'd put them under observation status. Now, observation stay status would allow the hospital to bill for services, but it would not subject to penalties if it was considered an improper admission. However, because SNF and post-acute benefits generally only really begin once there's a three-night overnight stay as an inpatient admitted in the hospital. If there's a patient at the hospital who's been at the hospital for, for three, four days under observation care status, then if it's time for discharge and they need to go to that SNF, they have no Medicare Part A benefits. So it's been a big problem for consumers because they've left the hospital. They didn't even realize they were under observation status. That was sort of something that was handled in the back office in the billing office. They're expected to go to the SNF to be able to have 20 or 30 days of rehab before they can go home. But unfortunately, Medicare is not going to cover that stay. They're forced either, to either pay it out of pocket. As a result, consumers were livid that this was happening because Medicare Part A benefits are things they've been paying for their entire life. SNF benefits are part of it. And uh, if they're entitled to 20 days of rehab care, that could cost, you know, uh, $20,000, $15,000. As a result, um, there has been some work legislatively to try to fix that, but it has remained a problem for a lot of consumers and hospitals as well who are, on the one hand, trying to limit the amount of unnecessary inpatient admissions, but on the other hand, allow the consumer to have the resources and Medicare payment to be able to go to that next level of care.
0: Do you also see that, on the back end, I could see that there would also be a really big incentive for the hospital not to readmit a patient at 30 days, which then would cause the same problem.
1: Yeah, uh, the readmission penalties are a little bit different, but it's a it's a very strong thing. On, it's it's on every single hospital CFO's desk right now and chief operating officer's desk is how do we re- reduce readmissions? I mean that's that is what everyone is talking about. If you if you open up any of the periodicals for the nursing home industry. Everyone is advertising that their solution is going to solve the readmissions problem. And I understand why, because unnecessary admissions cost the healthcare system uh, something like $17 billion a year, and that's just Medicare spending. If we can work together in that transitions of care in a more seamless way, then we'll save everyone a lot of money, and it'll, it'll ensure that Medicare and Medicaid exist for our children and grandchildren, unlike uh, the current track we're going on now, which is where they're running out of funding.
0: What do you focus on operationally? I mean, obviously, you've got a lot of very steep challenges. And you're in the middle of kind of this transition phase where what is being expected of a SNF is, as you have described very eloquently, is very much changing. How are you prioritizing? What are you doing?
1: Well, I have to say first, I never imagined that I would be doing this. To be honest, when I was in law school and I was in business school, everyone was talking about startups and disrupting and changing the world and doing things really cool with technology. I mean, no one was talking about elderly people and healthcare delivery in the U.S. And so I never even imagined myself doing this sort of thing. But I have to say, having been at it, it's remarkable the amount of change you can accomplish by going into an existing system and driving new innovation and bringing new ideas. I think there's a lot of room for young people, especially people who are, are bright-eyed and wide-eyed, who m- might not have had a lot of experience with post-acute care or hospital care because younger people are healthier, to, to do a lot of change and have a tremendous impact. And I, I would say that I'm, I'm very thankful to have sort of fallen into this because, I mean, every day I see there's a tremendous impact you can have, and not just because you can make decisions and, you know, stand up in front of a big uh, map with your sleeves rolled up and put push pins in and say, I want to go here and I want to do this and I want to do that. But because of the fact that there aren't so many young people uh, with innovative ideas in this field. So you have a disproportionate impact because of the new ideas you can bring. What's an example of that? Using technology – is, is, a, is a catch-all for a lot of different things. But data analytics is something that our industry does not do very well. Uh, the typical leader in the nursing home industry was somebody who started off as a nurse and sort of rose through the ranks into management and then became, let's say, the administrator or like the CEO of that nursing home. Uh, 're they're not, they're not an MBA like you'll find at a hospital. They're not Masters of Public Health Administration like you'll find in the hospital. And therefore there's a bi- there's a big disconnect. I, I talk about this a lot and the slide that I like to use is one with uh, you know Keanu Reeves representing the hospital. and I have Betty White, representing uh, the nursing home industry. You know, they're both talented people, but they view the world in very different ways. And therefore, there's a tremendous amount of room for people who can innovate with data and analytics and sort of figure out where exactly the nursing home can provide value by taking a data-driven rigorous approach you can learn a lot of new things and one of the things that i've been doing in my role at windsor is using data analytics to try to drive the future and understand exactly where we provide the most value to the healthcare system because ultimately if we don't provide that value then there are alternatives that are out there assisted living obviously home care is getting more and more acute every single day and so if 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 the post-acute care industry continues to not speak the language of hospitals and continues to have wide cost variations across regions which doesn't make a lot of sense if you're really operating well then we're not going to succeed and thrive in the future so using a data driven approach of the hospitals integrating technology into what you do so you can leverage productivity because labor is a finite force and it's only going to shrink your margins further if you just keep on adding nurses and adding nurses and adding nurses is something that I, i'm really excited about and we've done a lot of cool things in that regard
0: We have a number of health tech entrepreneurs that listen to the show, and and some of them are doing some things which probably would have overlap into the the market that is is typically thought of, you know, the elder market. For example, most of these patients, I mean, the reason that they're in a SNF or in an LTC facility to begin with is because they have multiple chronic conditions, for example. I just talked to someone yesterday, Pat Miser from Actual Meds, who works on a, a platform that does medication management really well. If someone was a tech entrepreneur, and as you said, they're sort of wide-eyed and, and looking for opportunities within the nursing home or LTC market, what advice would you have for them?
1: First of all, I would say uh, now's the perfect time to really be innovating in this space. The eyes of leaders, uh, policymakers, and big companies are, are really looking in this, in this field. So you've picked a great place To sort of start, and I'm going to say it's hard. It's also very hard because we're governed by a large regulatory scheme. You know, essentially, post-acute care is as close as you'll get to a national single-payer health system as possible because of the fact that most of our revenue is derived from Medicare and Medicaid. Result, you've got a lot of regulatory hurdles. But the policymakers that I've seen on the national level actually sort of know what they're doing. Uh, They're doing great things now, especially in regards to. I'm trying to extract value. Things like bundled payments, which which you can look up online, which really incentivize all members of a care episode from the hospital to post acute to home care to individual physicians to work together, keep costs down, make sure that transitional handoffs happen very seamlessly. All those things uh, really exist and are driving care and delivery and value. And therefore, if there if there is someone who can come in with a solution that'll enhance the level of value we're providing, then there's a huge opportunity for you. So, I will say, look past the regulatory hurdles that are there, create something of value, and you'll see how regulators will ha- find a way to help you and guide you and allow you to succeed because we're really looking for that value, no matter what form it takes. There are radical innovations happening in payment and delivery of care now. And even if your idea sounds radical, I say go for it because if you can market test it and show proof of case, then you're actually going to probably get adopted as something that is part of the solution set to this very large problem of how do we provide um, high-level care for a low cost for an America that is aging very rapidly.
0: Now, you have mentioned lawmakers and and regulators quite a bit throughout this this conversation. Is there something that you feel needs to be altered, or is there any advice that you might have for individuals who find themselves in a decision-making capacity uh, at CMS or the government?
1: And I would just say that regulators need to make sure that they they are, as as much as they can, aware of the consequences of various regulations and things down the line. You know, readmission penalties uh, have had the consequence, for example, of asking hospitals to look at us more closely because they're incentivized uh, for that. We have readmission penalties coming down the line as well that will affect nursing homes also. But our historical legacy has been as a social safety net for people who really needed care and had nowhere else to go. Uh, if we incentivize too much on performance, then we really, uh, we really run the risk of stratifying our healthcare delivery system, where some nursing homes are going to pick and choose. And we're seeing that already, the types of patients that they take, and neglecting the ones that are in need of the most care. So just like you see in hospitals, the readmission penalties are disproportionately affecting Inner city, poor demographic hospitals. So, the ones that can least afford getting penalized are the ones that are actually getting penalized the most, and it's hurting the people they have to serve. Uh, if you look at just performance outcomes too closely without talking about the holistic nature of the service we provide as a social safety net and as a social good, then you run the risk of penalizing those nursing homes that are really trying hard but simply can't perform at the same level of other nursing homes because of the area that they're situated in, the types of patients they serve, the physicians they associate with who might have a practice that deals with more clinically complex types of patients. And so therefore, I would really caution um, regulators, and policymakers to make sure that the policies that come out are ones that take into account the wide variety of care that we provide and make sure that overall... We have a unified healthcare system that can do the things that we really want it to do for everyone, not just for people who can afford or can choose to go to the best post acute center or the best hospital.
0: Where can people find more information about Windsor Healthcare communities if they are interested?
1: You can look us up online at windsorhealthcare.org. We've got information about our company over there as well, and there are tremendous amounts of resources online now about post-acute care, long-term care. You know, the world is at your fingertips. I would encourage anybody who wants to do more research to reach out to me directly, and you can find my information, uh, you know, via LinkedIn. I'll, I'll share all that information with you guys as well, and you can contact us through windsorhealthcare.org. And uh, I, I'm looking for people who can work with us to innovate. We've launched a few startups from within our own company, people who really had no experience in the healthcare field but said, hey, I need, a, I need a place to start. Maybe we can try to iterate while working with you guys. And we believe that's part of giving back, part of fostering a culture where, where we can all create new ideas and actually grow from it. So I encourage anyone to reach out to me if you have something you want to try and think it can work for post-acute care. And uh, in doing so, we can actually make a big difference.
0: Thank you so much for being on the program today, Joshua.
1: It was my pleasure, Stacey.
0: Links to everything discussed during the episode today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. I'll tell you the other thing that you will find at RelentlessHealthValue.com, and that is a way to subscribe to the show. If you subscribe, The cool thing is that you don't have to remember to go to the website every week to download the new episode. It will automatically be sent to you in one of two ways. The first way is you can type in your email address in the, there's a a sidebar on the right-hand side of the website where you will find a place that you could type in your email address and then you will get an email once a week with a a link to download the episode. So that's one way to go. The second is also in that same right-hand sidebar on the Relentless Health Value website, you will find a large orange dot. If you click on that dot, then you'll get taken to a place where you can click on the subscribe button in iTunes. If you click on that, then each week your iTunes will automatically download the episode, which you could choose to listen to on your computer or on the podcast app on your mobile phone. If you enjoyed this episode, please, I beg you, uh, it would be really, really helpful if you would rate and review the show either on iTunes or interact with us on Twitter. Our um, Twitter handle is Relentless with only one S, health. So Relentless with only one S, health. I would love to hear from you. We would find it very inspiring over here at the Relentless Health Value podcast. I thank you so much for tuning in and so much for spending the time with us. Thank you.